How many of you believe in miracles? You believe in miracles? Do you really? How many of you can say, I'm a miracle? Right? How many of you can say, somebody that knows me real well says, I'm a miracle? Right? Uh, I want to talk to you today about miracles. Because it's Christmas time, and when it's Christmas time, then we are focused on a miracle. As a matter of fact, several miracles. As a matter of fact, it's more than about lights and gifts under a tree, bringing family together, eating another turkey, ham, whatever it is you eat. It's more than that. No, and it's more about the Christmas spirit, more more than about that. It's about another spirit, the Holy Spirit, and miracles that occurred surrounding the arrival of Jesus Christ to the earth. Miracles. So I'm going to talk to you today about Christmas signs and miracles and wonders. What's a wonder? It's something that makes you wonder. How's that for simple? When God does something that only God could have done, it makes you wonder, right? So I'm going to read out of Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26. And watch what it says. Here's a miracle. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. So here's an angel. First miracle. The Bible says there are angels, and they don't have wings, and they are not fat little cherubs. They are mighty beings. Look at this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, an archangel, to a village in Galilee, to a virgin, to a what? Did you catch that? To a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, what was her reaction? It was confusion, disturbed, and in most places in the Bible when they encounter an angel, they were afraid. So people will tell you, last night an angel came to my room and we danced to my room. You can throw that away. Because if an angel appears to you, you are on your face. So she's confused and disturbed, and she tries to think of what the angel could have meant. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. Now here it comes. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call his name Jesus. For he will deliver us from our sins is what it means. So now you got a virgin who will conceive. You've got an angel. You've got the stage set for a miracle. Do you believe God still does them? I said, do you believe God still does miracles? Do you? Do you believe that God still answers prayer? Do you believe he does things that would never happen if he did not do it? All right. Then I got the right crowd. Because that's what I'm going to tell you. This is the meaning of Christmas. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts. And, Lord, thank you for miracles. Can we say together, thank you, Lord, for miracles? Let's just lift our hands for a moment and say, thank you for miracles, Lord. Thank you for miracles. Thank you for the miracle you've done in my life. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I believe in miracles. Amen. I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles because I believe in God. Now, these verses that we just read are some of the many that testify that Jesus' arrival to our storm-tossed earth was surrounded by miracles. Miracles. Now, last week we talked about hope. So the hope has been watered down, the meaning of it. It's just sort of a wishful thinking kind of thing. I hope for this and that and the other. Uh, it, it's like it expresses a wish. But miracles has been watered down too. Because when we use the word miracle these days, we're not generally talking about a Bible kind of miracle. We're saying like, it'll be a miracle if I pass this test. How many of you have said that this week? All right. Or how about this? It'll be a miracle if I get there on time. We use miracles that way. Amen. But the dictionary definition of miracle is stronger than that. It's a lot stronger than that. It's defined as a surprising and welcome event that is not explainable by natural or scientific law. That's a miracle. A miracle is something that defies natural law. A miracle is something that would never happen if God didn't do it. That's a miracle. Uh, another dictionary says, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention into human affairs. So a miracle tells us that God does involve himself in our life. That he does enter time and space, your world and mine, and do something that is supernatural, that defies natural law. It would never happen if he didn't do it. C.S. Lewis said, a miracle is an interference with nature by a supernatural power. An interference of nature by a supernatural power. See, when you come to Christmas, you're either going to deal with it religiously and traditionally. Well, this is when we give gifts. This is when we look at lights. This is when we eat a bunch of food. This is when we get a week off from work or whatever. Or you can look at it the way it's presented. What's Christmas all about? It's about miracles. It's about the reality of a miracle. Everybody say miracle. When God defied natural law. The Bible definition of a miracle, the Greek word that it comes from, is those acts that only God can perform defying natural law. So when we talk about miracles, you're a miracle, I'm a miracle, because we would never have changed ourselves or experienced the transformation we have if not for the miracle of being saved. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and all has become new. And that is a miracle. That's a miracle. Everybody say, I'm a miracle. You're a miracle because God did a miracle in you. How many of you are so glad that God did a miracle in you? Amen? Now, sometimes the word miracle is translated into the word sign. Talk about signs, wonders, and miracles. A sign is something that God uses to point to himself. 
the same way we follow signs on a road. You know, when you come to a sign, you've got a destination. You want to reach the destination. And you're traveling along, and you don't know if you're going the right way. And then there is this welcome sign, destination, 100 miles down the road. Now, let me ask you, you don't get out and hug that sign, do you? You don't get out and bow down to that sign, do you? You don't, you don't say, I have arrived when you see the sign, do you? No. You keep on going to what the sign is pointed to. A lot of people are, are only want to see the signs, wonders, and miracles. But listen, when God does a sign and a wonder and a miracle, it is pointing to something else. It is pointing to God, the reality of God, the reality of the creator of God. A sign points you down the road to where you want to go. And that's what a sign is about. So, yeah, I love seeing signs, but only long enough for me to head towards what it's pointing to. So, putting all these definitions together, here's what a miracle is. It's a supernatural act of God that defies natural law and points to him as the one and only true God. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Now, that said, the birth of Jesus, watch this, is surrounded by miracles. Surrounded by supernatural acts of God that can only be attributed to God. And you cannot approach the birth of Jesus, which is what Christmas is all about. He's more than a little baby born in a manger, you know, in Bethlehem. And isn't he cute? And, oh, poor little Jesus born out back where the animals are. No, 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 no. It's way more than that. When Jesus Christ was conceived and born, it was shrouded and wrapped, gift-wrapped in miracles. It was a miracle. And if you're going to celebrate the real Jesus, you've got to embrace the reality of miracles. And if he did a miracle back then, he can do a miracle in your life now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that? He's the same yesterday. So he answers prayer, and he invades planet Earth, and he does supernatural things that defy natural law that would never have happened if God didn't do it. Now, I want to talk to you about some of these miracles real quickly and give you the reason for the season. Here's what, here's what really happened on that first Christmas morning. The first miracle surrounding Jesus' birth is the, the miracle of fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. What's a prophecy? Well, most of us know, but let me tell you anyway. A Bible prophecy is a prediction given by a prophet before an event occurs that is fulfilled to the tiniest letter. A prophecy is when God, who does the miracles, enters time and space, speaks to a man, and he predicts what is coming in the future before the future arrives, right down to the tiniest detail. How do you do that? I challenge you, try to predict what's going to be happening in the next 10 minutes. You can't do it. You have no idea what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. You know, I could be preaching along and the, and the rapture would come. We're all up in heaven. You, you have no idea what's going to happen. I hope that, I hope I am preaching when the rapture happens. It's kind of a dream of mine. I'm going to be preaching and I'm going to be doing this and saying the word of God and bang, I'm looking at Jesus. 
<laughs> but follow this now. Uh, Jesus' birth is surrounded by the miracle of future prophecies that came to pass exactly like the prophet said. For example, his birthplace. His birthplace. The prophet Micah wrote 700 years before Jesus was born. Seven centuries before Mary lived to bring forth Jesus. The prophet Micah said, O Bethlehem, you are but a small Judean village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king who is alive from everlasting ages past. Bethlehem, Bethlehem, little out-of-the-way town. Listen, Jesus' birthplace is predicted. Now, they knew from the Old Testament that a Messiah was going to come, but here is Micah being moved on by the Holy Spirit and saying exactly where this Messiah would be born. Bethlehem. How does he do that? How did he possibly do that? How do you know that? I mean, if I'm predicting the arrival of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I'm going to bring him to New York City. Or, no, no, not New York City. I shouldn't even, no, not these days. I'm going to bring him to Dallas, Fort Worth. Right? I'm going to bring him to a key place, a prominent place, a known place. But Bethlehem was a little out-of-the-way tiny village. One commentator says, this prophecy eliminates all other cities and towns throughout the world as a place in which Messiah could be born. It narrows the possibilities to one tiny village just south of Jerusalem on the other side of the tracks. Little town. But he said, here's what the Holy Spirit is showing me. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's exactly where he was born. How do you do that? Seven centuries before he comes. Everybody say, God. And he also predicted that this predicted king would be a person who's been around for eternity's past, which could only point to an eternal deity. He said his goings have been of old, even from everlasting to everlasting. So Micah is predicting God is going to show up in Bethlehem. It happened just like he said. And then he said he's going to be, another prophet said, he's going to be called out of Egypt. This one, this Savior, this Redeemer, he's going to be called out of Egypt. How do you know that? Hosea wrote these words, again, seven centuries before Jesus was born, because Hosea and uh, Micah were contemporaries. Watch this. He wrote, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Now jump forward 700 years. And Matthew records, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And then, later, after Herod had died. God again spoke to Joseph in a dream, telling him to return to Israel, at which point Jesus was called out of Egypt, just like Hosea had predicted 700 years before. How do you do that? Everybody say miracles. 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 And that leads me to a third prophecy, and just the last one that I'll mention 
But the third prophecy was fulfilled surrounding Jesus' birth. The prophet Jeremiah predicted that the Christ child would be born in the midst of great sorrow. The sorrow will be surrounding the birth of the Christ child. It says, Jeremiah 31, verse 15, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel, signifying Israel, or the Jewish women, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. And we know what did that. It was fulfilled 700 years later when King Herod sought to kill Jesus. It says in Matthew 2.16, when Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Wicked, evil, an evil edict. But Jeremiah had predicted it centuries before. That's a miracle. And then Matthew finishes, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. So the birth of Jesus was surrounded with the miracle of fulfilled prophecy. Do you know that the Bible is the only religious book in the world that dares to predict the future and that the Bible is one quarter prophecy? No one else does. You know why? Because the Bible didn't come from men. It came from God through men. Amen? And only God knows the end from the beginning. Only God knows the end from the beginning. Only God knows the end of something before the beginning even starts. That's why I tell you all the time, he never says, well, I'll be. Because God knew what was coming. He knows what's coming. And he's able to step into the future and tell us before the future ever arrives exactly what's going to happen. Amen? In his book, Science Speaks, Peter Stoner applies the modern science of probability to watch this now. This is powerful. To just eight prophecies regarding Christ. He takes eight prophecies regarding Christ, and there's way more than that, and he writes these words. The chances that any man might have fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in ten to the 17th power. Now, let me tell you what that means. One followed by 17 zeros. How many of you would like that check? Right? One followed by 17 zeros. You know what that means? 100 quadrillion. I don't even know. I think the national debt's approaching there, but that's... Stoner suggests that we take... Now, watch this. If we take 10 to the 17th power in silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas, he says they will cover the entire state two feet deep. That's how big the number is. Then he goes on. Now you mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up that one marked silver dollar. Are you getting this? The whole state of Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars, only one of those silver dollars is marked. You're blindfolded. You're told, start walking and pick up that one marked silver dollar. And that's the odds 
of eight prophecies concerning Jesus being fulfilled in one man. That's a miracle. Our Lord had a miracle arrival. Amen? Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? The second miracle surrounding Jesus' birth, we all know. But let me just be real clear. It's the virgin birth. The virgin birth. You know, most people out there celebrating Christmas don't even stop to think about that. They don't stop to consider what the Bible says. But here's what the Bible says. The prophet Isaiah, here comes another prophet, made a startling prediction. No doubt it was a huge very difficult to believe prediction, almost preposterous, he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. There's a sign pointing to something. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Who shall conceive? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now here, Isaiah is placing us on miracle ground. Because it says a virgin shall conceive. To the natural mind, this prediction would seem insane. For it runs totally against natural law. A woman cannot conceive a child without a man. Yet this is exactly what the prophet predicted. And this is exactly what the Bible tells us happened with a young teenage Jewish girl named Mary, about 15 years old. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, a mighty archangel, with only three of them, the mighty Gabriel appeared to Mary, who was already engaged to Joseph and told her she would give birth to the Christ child. And she asked what any reasonable person would ask. She said, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. Look what God said. The angel answered her and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Miracles happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I'm up here because the Holy Spirit came upon me many, many, many years ago. I'm preaching because the Holy Spirit came upon me. I'm a changed man because the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. Listen, let the Holy Spirit fall and miracles start to happen. Amen? Yeah. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest Mary will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Literally. It's going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary. The angel Gabriel is echoing the prophecy of Isaiah, and he just adds a little bit to the mix. He says, not only is it going to happen, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what would take you a year to do, he can do in one minute in you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit overshadows you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, miracles happen. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a church, miracles happen. Amen. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. It's called the Immaculate Conception. It means that while Mary was Jesus' mother, he didn't have an earthly father. We talk about who's your daddy. Let me tell you who Jesus' daddy was. 
It was not an earthly father. Joseph was not his father. His father was God. His father was the heavenly father. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and did a creative miracle in her. And God spoke and said, let there be. And Jesus was translated from heaven to earth via the Virgin Mary's womb. A miracle. I wonder what would happen if I preached this on CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN, MSLSD. I mean, MSNBC. I wonder what would happen if I preached on any of those. They would mock me, ridicule me, kick me out. But I'm telling you, Christmas stands on miracle ground. Christmas is a miracle. Christmas is the celebration of a miracle. Amen? In the beginning was the Word, and that's the third miracle. God became a man. God became a man. Not only was his birth surrounded by miracle prophecy, and not only was it surrounded by uh, the Immaculate Conception, but, but God became a man. Can you pause and think about that? In the beginning was the Word, capital W, Jesus. And the Word was with God. And listen to the next part. The Word was God. Can I read that again? The Word was God. So Jesus wasn't some long-haired guy with a beard, looking like a Hollywood actor walking around, saying neat things in sandals, you know, uh, loving on people, gentle Jesus, just one of many that we can follow. No, no. Jesus was God wrapped in human skin. Jesus was God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was God wrapped in human skin. He wasn't like Muhammad. He wasn't like Buddha. He wasn't like Confucius. He wasn't like any other world religious leader. He is way, way, way above them all. Amen. God became a man. And the word, listen to what it says, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John said, as we were following him, because they followed him for over three years, as we were following him, he was full of grace. He wasn't mean. He wasn't ornery. He wasn't vindictive. He didn't hold grudges. He was full of grace. And he was full of truth. If he spoke, it was true. If he said something, it was right. He was a light. He was a door, the way to heaven. He was the good shepherd. If you, to know him was to be enraptured by what you saw, he was full of grace, full of truth, a joy to follow, a wonder to come to know, altogether desirable. Jesus. Martin Luther wrote, the mystery of the humanity of Christ that he sunk himself into our flesh is beyond all human understanding. He was all man, all God, all God, all man. He was the God-man. Amen. And in becoming a man, listen, he felt our pain. Do you hurt today? 
He feels it. And here's the even better news. He empathizes with you because he's been there. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. We don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, yet without sin. So are you hurting? He feels it, and he has felt it. Are you being tempted? He empathizes. He knows what it's like. Have you been betrayed? He's been betrayed. Have you been rejected? He's been rejected. Have you been lonely? He's been lonely. Have you been despised? He's been despised. So he understands. So when you say, Lord, I'm really hurting, he is able to empathize and reach out to you and comfort you and hug you and embrace you and carry you because he's been there. He wept with us. He laughed with us. He walked with us. He talked with us. He suffered for us. And he died for us. Listen to these words. Paul writes, though he was God. Everybody say, he was God. Though he was God, he did not think of his uh, of equality with God as something to cling to. Now, this is going back when Jesus was in heaven before he came. Did you know he said he would come and die for you and me before the world was created? It was already decided amongst the Godhead before God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Though he was God, he said, I'll go and I'll die for them. He didn't consider his equality with God something to cling to. To, to not let go of. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Everybody say he gave up. He, he lost something. He, he gave it up. His divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Did I just say slave? Yes, a slave. He, didn't, he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. We're talking about God coming to serve fallen men and women. He came to serve. And he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He died a criminal's death. This is called the great condescension. He condescended. He left heaven, became a man. Having become a man, he became a servant. Having become a servant, he went all the way to the cross. God stood there while they slapped him. Plucked out his beard. Took a crown of thorns about two inches, three inches long shoved them down on his sacred head till they dug in. God did that. God the Son, though he was God, though he was God. God let them whip his back. God carried of the cross, not this part, this part. 
because this part was already in a hole I read this week. When they would crucify somebody, they would have a hole already dug, and this long part would already be in the hole wherever they were taking them. And they, it was this part that they had to carry. And a typical cross was about seven by five. About seven by five. The average man of that day was five feet tall. And he carried this part. And this is the part he had to have help with because he was so beat up. God, God, I'm just talking to you about what Christmas is all about. Can I go there? And he walked all the way up that cross, and they pulled out the long part and laid him down on it. And this part was attached. And then they nailed his wrists in and nailed his feet in. And God was dropped down into that hole. And God said, Father, forgive them. They know, know not what they do. And God died for you and me. And let me tell you something. You want to know who you are? You want to know what your future is? You want to know what your destiny is? You want to know why God has put you here? It begins with a sign. We all go through life. And in our journey through life, down the highway of life, God puts signs. And I'm holding one up right now. Watch this. What does the sign say? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The sign points, first destination, the cross. And you go to the cross. And there at the feet of Jesus, there where the blood was spilled, there where he died for you and me, you say, Lord, forgive me. I embrace you as my Savior and Lord. And when you do that, he fills you with his spirit you become a child of God immediately on the spot. It's a miracle transformation. And then and only then do you discover why God puts you on this planet. It begins at the cross. And there's a sign. They, Rod certainly used to say on Twilight Zone, there's a signpost up ahead. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. Well, let me, let me change that. There's a signpost up ahead. Next stop, the cross. Because if you go to that cross, you're going to begin to truly live. Because there he died for you, and there he will raise you from the spiritually dead and give you a new life, a new destination, a new purpose, a new everything. Amen. Can we stand together today? Everybody say with me, the miracle of Christmas is surrounded by miraculous prophecy. Miraculous conception. Miraculous person who came to earth in our stead and died for us. How many of you are so glad that Jesus came to die for you and me? Amen. Amen. Can we thank the Lord with a great big hand of praise? Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Where would you be without the cross? I can't even think about where I would be. I'm going to ask just to bow for a moment of prayer. I'm going to lead in a simple prayer because some of you may not even know whether or not you are the Lord's, that you know him. You may know about him. You may have been to Sunday school, church, a lot. So you know the story. But do you know him? Do you really know him? Because you can you know the Bible says that you may know that you have eternal life? 
that our faith is a no-so faith. God doesn't want us to have a question mark. God wants us to know that we have eternal life. Do you know it today? Do you know that you have eternal life? What a great time to come to Jesus here at this Christmas season. Because my friend, that's what Christmas is all about. He came for that reason. For you. So I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you need to pray it, you know it. You know you do. You feel that little nudge on the inside. That's the Holy Spirit telling you. You need to pray. So pray this with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. Father, forgive me all my sin, the sin that Jesus gave his life to forgive. And I ask you to come into my heart. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed, if you can say, Jeff, I prayed that with you. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? I'm not going to embarrass you. But just put your hand up in the air where I can see you. Where God can see you. Just put it up. There you go. Many people. Amen. Many. God bless you. Way over here and back there and over here. Here, God bless you. It's amazing. You never know how many people need Jesus till you ask. But I want everybody that raised your hand to look at me. Would you look at me if you raise your hand? Look at me. Would you let me meet you as soon as the church service is over in like one or two minutes? I want to meet you because I want to give you something to take home with you that I wrote just for you. And you need to tell somebody. Tell somebody that you prayed this prayer. I'm a good candidate. I promise I won't bite. I promise I'm an easy to get along with guy. But I want you to come down and uh, say, I prayed with you. Very important. Because I'm going to give you a little bag of goodies to take home with you. All of it's free. Maybe the only free thing you get all week, but it's good. Because it's stuff that you need to read to help you with your new walk with Christ. And so please come down. Do I have an agreement that you're going to come down? Give me a nod. Give me a nod. Okay. All right. Don't let me stand down here alone. Everybody say, don't make him stand there alone. Because you need to say it. Because when you say, I prayed that prayer, there's something about that. It settles it. It settles it. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for touching these people.